All right. So you have to forgive me. My uh, voice is a little wacky. I was sick earlier this week, and so it's still kind of uh, coming back. Uh, <laughs> uh, thankfully, though, we're talking about Moses today. So if you know the story of Moses, I guess it's appropriate that my voice is a little off. So my name is Robert James Ritter. I am 33 years old. And like all of you, I have been many times in my life trying to understand how I ought to label and define myself. My earliest screen name was Star Wars Lego fan, which was probably ironic because I had only seen um, Attack of the Clones at that point in time, which any actual Star Wars fan would be like, what? <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, in high school, uh, my friend and I decided to start a band and we called ourselves crumpled paper, um, which, you know, amen, is a reasonable name for a band as much as any, anyone else. Uh, but neither him nor I played an instrument and neither him nor I sang but we were just certain that we'd be able to kind of round up the rest of the troop and it would it would work out you know um if if you're laughing at me amen i it's we all look back at our histories and it's like okay that is that's pretty cringe and if you right now think that you're not i i welcome you in 10 years to look back at some of the things you're doing right now um so you know when i was in i was in college i was in a fraternity and I, I dealt a, a great bit of identity from that. Um, and, you know, that concept of brotherhood meant a lot to me. Um, and then when I became a Christian and a lot of those relationships severed over my unwillingness to do certain things, uh, it made me really wonder, like, oh, my goodness, like, this is how I've been labeling myself. And, and it was for nothing. It, it was essentially empty as soon as, as, you know, what we got together about was, was no more. And then my whole life, um, well, not my whole life, uh, up until the time of my early high school years, I knew that I wanted to be a business consultant and I was going to go to a specific school, uh, a specific engineering school. And it was just like the only, the only path I had in my head. And so that's what I did. And then I graduated and I got that role and then I lost that job two months after getting it because I left my laptop on a train. Once again, this idea of like, okay, I am this person that has the specific profession, that has a specific role was kind of immediately ripped away from me. It made me wonder like, why do I put so much value in these labels? And you know, honestly, if we, we look around, we are certain that the world is chaotic we are certain that there is angst and frustration and confusion. And very often we try to define ourselves and give ourselves labels and as almost like a defense against all of that uncertainty that like, we feel like, okay, I understand myself a little bit better because I've labeled myself as this, that, and the other. Does that make sense? Um, uh, Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he writes, Some of us may find relief from the angst through identifying with sports teams, rock stars, or social movements of one kind or another. Some may resort 
to the dogmatism of politics, science, or religion. Our bumper stickers and t-shirts may bear symbols and slogans intended to inform others, as well as ourselves, that we are very sure, thank you, of who we are and what we are doing, how we feel about the whole idea of being on this planet. But it's all empty bravado, a nervous whistling in the dark of our ignorance and uncertainty about our real nature and our real task in life. All the things around us that we seek to define ourselves by that give us some temporary comfort in understanding ourselves are purely nothing against the swirling chaos. In time, those things will go away too. So, so then what is our place? Let's read from Psalms 8. Psalm 8, 3 through 6. six. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And, you know, I I read this psalm frequently because it reminds me of my place in creation. Growing up, all of us are desperate to find ourselves. But if we perpetually are trying to find ourselves, we totally miss the point of God. Because there is no you outside of the context of creation as God has ordained it and then placed you within it with a specific task and function in mind. And so you go and you seek and you try to find an identity and something that makes sense. And you try to feel like, okay, now I get myself. And then some new situation comes up and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't agree with my political party on this. Oh my goodness, I don't agree with how my my corporation is treating this matter. Oh my goodness, I don't agree with my friend group anymore. And we're once again crushed back into this uncertainty of, well, who, who am I then? If this label doesn't suffice, if it's not able to actually help me get through this world and help me understand how I'm supposed to interact with each thing, what am I doing? But if we first know God, then everything else comes into clarity. Everything else makes sense. The, the waves of culture, the uncertainty of this world, the frustrations and angst, none of it is scary anymore because we know how to interact with it. We know what God intends. And though even those situations are still hard, they do not question our self-worth the way we do when our labels don't suffice to explain how we see the world. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. Okay. So... We, we know Moses existed amongst evil, right? An entire population was enslaved. And he looks around and he sees this, yet he's, he's not really part of them. He, he instead grew up with those that were 
the enslavers. And, and he, he realized that his people were calling out to God, that they didn't want to live with such fear, that they didn't want to live with such sin against them. And, and he's, he deals with it the way that we often deal with identity crises, right? He's like kind of in these two different camps. He doesn't really understand his place. And so he tries to enact justice himself. And what does he do? Right? He kills someone. And I'm not saying that's how we interact, but it's the same, the same exact thread of like, we try to take matters into our own hands and then we do something that wasn't in God's plan either. Right. So he wanted to know his place amongst the people, people, but he ends up killing an Egyptian while trying to defend a Hebrew man. It's messy and he must run. He does not know who he is or where he is to go, but he yearns for an answer. And of course, the answer that he hears from God, it actually scares him too. But it's the right answer. And it's this idea of instead of fearing the world and instead fearing his creator, that puts him in place where God intended him to be. So let's read the story in Exodus 3. We're going to start in verse 1, Exodus 3, and I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard here. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priests of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of God of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So right for this moment, God calls him away from his regular life. He calls him away from him trying to come up with the answers himself. And he clearly sets before him what he needs to hear uh, to be changed and then go back and interact with the crowd. So Moses says, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned to get aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses was, was afraid. The, the truth of God is far scarier than anything that we could kind of come up with or, or see in the world ourselves. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out 
of Egypt. So God, he sees the hurting of his people in this world. He has taken note of their cries and their fears and their frustrations and their hopes. And he has decided to use another human to help intercede in the situation. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And of course, Moses is, is apprehensive here, but he views it as a question of identity. Who am I? And this is exactly what our fear tells us to say. When problematic things occur, we look inward at ourselves. Am I capable of standing up for whatever this thing is at work, at school, in, in this group of, of what I thought were friends? I'm, I'm not the right person for this. You can't use me, God, because look at me. This is our, our natural human response to chaos and fear. Who am I? So God responds, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Did you notice that God spent no time pandering to Moses's self-identity crisis? It is not about you. God tries to make this as clear as all possible that Moses, yes, you are flawed, but it does not matter. That if you're so worried until you are the right person to lead my people out of Egypt, it will never happen. If you are so worried until you are the right person that fully understands yourself, that has a good hold on who you are in your place in this world, it will never work. It will never happen. You're never going to get out of those insecurities and fears and find your place and just be so solid that you know exactly the right thing to, to put in your post or say to your boss or whatever. It will never happen. Then Moses says to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This, this self-defining quality of God, that God is God. That we don't need to, to dig further than that or come to some basis of, okay, this is the exact picture of God. It has to stop at some point because there is no final answer. I am who I am. And he says, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you will say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob have sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. 
Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say. And you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. Now let's, let's turn over to Exodus four and keep reading. Exodus four, starting in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. And this, this is amazing. Because this same promise that God would literally give Moses the word that he needs to say has been again promised to us through the Holy Spirit that we can get before any audience and with, fee- with confidence and a lack of fear be able to talk about God's word, to be able to be talk about his answer to the problems of this world to be able to talk about his glory and his loving compassion and his patience and forbearance and kindness and hope and willingness to love us and use us despite our flaws. To love us and care for us and, again, employ us to care for the world around us. There is no concern that God is not able to get us to. There is no fear, no chaos, no no situation that seems like it will utterly break us that God blinks at. There There is no social problem. There is no uncertainty in the world. There is no war that God does not understand as humans hurting humans. And sees the solution as, I am going to prepare a people to put others' needs before their own. I am going to prepare a people to look out into this world and be willing to love them when they themselves are hated. I am going to prepare a people that would stand up against injustice, but not by attacking in kind, but not by by doing, employing the methods of the world, but that instead 
would do it with all humility and turning the other cheek and again, praying and caring for people. That's, that's the identity that he offers us. That is so much better than anything I ever came up with for myself. That is so much better than anything you have ever come up with for yourself. I promise you. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. First Peter 2 through 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And if you notice there, all of those declarations, they're not about us. They're about God's relationship with us. They're about his view of us. They're about his choosing of us. And if you feel like, I, I don't know, I don't feel chosen. I can't get past this sin. I can't, I can't, whatever it may be. If you feel like you are on the outside looking in and you just don't understand why these people are so foolish, I beg you. To, to spend some time trying to live as a disciple and see if that foolishness saves you the way that it has saved us. So we're going we're gonna to have a time of communion here. Um, thank you so much for, for listening today and for your attention. And just thank you, all of you, for day after day, week after week, laying down the words and labels and definitions that the world wants to give us that we want to give ourselves and taking hold of the one that matters, that we are sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the hope that you bestow upon us. Thank you, God, that although we can look out and see chaos, we know the answer. We know the person-to-person -person love and sacrifice that it takes to help reform and reconcile this world towards you. God, thank you so much for being the gate. Thank you for letting us in to your flock. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for not weighing our sins against us. Thank you for sending your son that he would die, that he would be tortured, that he would be mistreated, that he would be betrayed by his closest friends, that he would be misunderstood all that he would have the opportunity to give us a chance to know you. God, thank you so much for your body. Thank you for, for your blood. Thank you the way that it was poured out for Jesus through Jesus, that we may have an opportunity to come together and take this communion and remember who we truly are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.